Ava Hartling, and this is The Brand is Female. Today I'm speaking with Chloe Sanger, co-founder of Thousand Fell, the New York-based sneaker company which offers a line of biodegradable shoes that promote circularity with the goal of changing how footwear is both produced and consumed. You know, when you when you really identify a problem that needs to be addressed quickly, you know, again, rather than just creating another organic t-shirt line, but if you're really thinking about a new system, it's, sometimes it's better to innovate outside of the bureaucracy, I think. Before coming up with the idea for Thousand Fell in 2018, Chloe spent time in retailer Gap's rotational management program, learning about innovative ways to create fabrics. She saw firsthand how companies manufacture their goods and how technology has become so advanced that there is no reason to make products that don't prioritize sustainability anymore. This season of our podcast is brought to you by TD Bank Group, Women Entrepreneurs. TD helps women entrepreneurs achieve success and growth through its program of educational workshops, financing, and mentorship. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and follow the link to find out how TD can support you. Here is my conversation with Chloe. Great. Okay. Chloe, it's a pleasure to have you joining me on The Brand is Female today. I'm really excited to meet you and to hear more about Thousand Fell. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here, Ava. And I'm going to start this conversation the way I always do. And I want to go back in time and ask you, growing up, did you think you would be an entrepreneur? Did you already dream of becoming an entrepreneur? Or were you thinking about a career in fashion, maybe? Yeah, I am. Um... Growing up is many different time frames, so I don't mm-hmm. think by like the age of like eight or ten, I had um, necessarily fashion or sustainability in mind. But this is a real thorough um, through through line to what I was focused on in high school, and um, I was both obsessed with fashion, wanted to go to art school, wanted to go into fashion design, but also uh, like head of the environmental committee at school. Um, and a oh, I love that. A self-prescribed uh, eco-warrior, climate warrior, um, and did a lot of activism, both like nationally and internationally in high school, um, back in like, I don't know, 06 or 07, 08, mm-hmm. um, and 09, and uh, really, I think the idea that I'm here today, sometimes I'm pinching myself, I'm like, am I really doing this? Because I think 18-year-old me would be so pleased that there was, that I found a way to like kind of merge both and um, entrepreneurship though, for sure, like pulling that out. Um, my parents are both entrepreneurs and, um, mm-hmm. I'm super fortunate and privileged to be from the Silicon Valley, from Menlo Park, uh, and to have grown up there before what it, before it was known as it is now, um, right. in the nineties and, and be around a lot of early, that early tech bubble and have my parents both be involved in that and, um, to kind of see, my dad built a business and sell a business. And so definitely was um, not a foreign concept to me and definitely was something I was interested in. And we were always starting businesses and starting initiatives and clubs and events. And um, this is kind of the third or fourth startup that I've been involved with and can't really imagine working any other way. I, I love that. And well, you ultimately started Thousand Fell, and I believe your your co-founder is actually your partner. I want to know what led you to want to create that brand specifically, and um, was it something that was kind of in the making for a long time, or was it like that genius idea that came to you overnight? Yeah, 
you know, pre pre launching Thousand Fell, I remember like I don't know in college, kind of wanting to start something, looking for ideas, and you're sitting here thinking about an idea. And I don't know how often that actually happens that somebody just has a genius idea and, mm-hmm. and builds a big business the next day. Um, the the couple of things that we've both learned is that this is you're playing a long game and it's a series right. of experiences over time and you have no idea where it's going to take you good experiences or experiences that in the moment seem negative but are just kind of pivots and learnings um right. and your network like the like this is so much a product of the people that we've met along the way the past three years um and i can't say enough about the like this thousand fell wouldn't be here if we hadn't just started meeting as many people as possible in sustainability and in the fashion space um, over the past few years, mm-hmm. um, how it started though, the, the story and, and Stuart and I, um, and yeah, we, we are dating. Uh, we've been, <laughs> we've been dating for almost six years. <clears throat> so we both met, uh, seven years ago in China. I did, um, we both did Princeton in Asia, uh, Princeton in Asia, which is a postgrad fellowship. I was actually mm-hmm. based in Wuhan, China, and Stuart was based in Northern Thailand. Um, and then we met following uh, Wuhan in Shanghai. So we were both working, living and working in, in China for almost three years. Um, and I was working for um, Alexander Wang Group. I was working for Alex's mother, Ying, who was launching a made in China, designed in China, luxury label called Arte, an mm-hmm. amazing brand um, with a woman named Jasmine Ting. So again, I know we'll get into strong women in business, but there are yeah. two of them. Um, really incredible women starting something. And it was under the AWG umbrella, so there's access to factories and, and sample rooms and fabric sourcing, you name it, but but really made for the China market. But what was interesting there for that to be one of my first roles out of school, I mean, I had interned and I had interned at Vogue in New York and I had interned at Vogue China, but it was one of my first times in-house at a, at a brand and I was so close to the means of production. So we had a sample room on campus um, that we were in and out of and it was, it, you know, and hard not to see the textile waste. And Stuart at the time, to kind of weave his story in there, he was doing brand entry into China for foreign brands. So he was helping like Skull Candy um, and even Beyonce's personal brand build up history on platforms like iQiyi um, mm. within China, but and kind of left to help a new footwear company. So he started working in footwear production. And then the two of us, through the time there, we were traveling to uh, footwear factories around Shanghai, Dongguan, Guangzhou, Fujian, and really started to see big, large-scale production firsthand, which generally, when you enter the fashion industry in the U.S., unless you're going into a really technical production role, you're maybe not making sourcing or production trips until 10, 15 years into your career. Right, um, yeah. Like, you're not, the company's not going to pay to fly junior level. The junior, yeah. You're hire to a factory. And I had a mentor say to me, look, don't just start something right now. If you really want to change the industry, go learn how to sell units. Uh, you know, I, I, I came in, um, back to the U.S. and did Gap Inc.'s management training program mm-hmm. in San Francisco. Um, a fantastic program. Anybody that is listening, I, I plug them constantly. Um, but Gap is a fantastic place to start your career, a fantastic place at any point in your career, the largest American retailer and, and a truly awesome company. Um, and the management training program is incredible. And it, you, I really got to see very quickly in that year, um, like how to bring product to market and, and mm-hmm. how to do bigger units driven businesses, um, everything from production and sourcing through inventory management and financing product strategy, and then even, uh, marketing and digital marketing. 
um, running a bigger e-com business. So mm-hmm. that was incredible. And from that, I went into um, Gap Women's Global Knit Tops. And so big business, $150 million plus a quarter business, moving basics, which was really interesting um, for me to, to then try to emerge my interest in sustainable fibers. Mm-hmm. Um, Gap at the time, Gap, again, great company, was, was investing, like many of these bigger conglomerates do, into new fabric innovation. Right. So fabrication and cellular agriculture in 2016 were really nascent and novel and exciting. And Gap was investing in modern meadow and bolt threads and, um, you know, you name it, MycoWorks. And it blew my mind that you could have like lab-grown leather, lab-grown spider mm-hmm. silk and bulletproof denim jackets, <clears throat> the whole nine yards. Um, but then in my role, my actual role, we were struggling to get organic cotton into mm-hmm into programs that were going to doors like stores. Right. Um, and it's because, you know, it's gap in a lot of these big businesses are really helping to drive the innovation. They really are. Mm-hmm. But the, the stop gap is they're struggling to move the consumer base on fast enough where they can get it into products at a cost effective rate fast enough. Right. So innovation is happening, but then we still have these mass market lines that are mass market leather, TPU, plastic, polyester, mm-hmm or, you know, cotton span, you name it. And so the, the disconnect that Stuart and I both saw was the innovation's here. I know it's nascent. We know it's not quite right. It's not going to hit a gapping profit margin quite yet, but we, we think we can do it. Um, mm-hmm. It will take a nimble team to think through a new system, and then we can help build into some of these bigger companies. And Stuart, again, a lot of the connections in footwear and footwear sourcing and footwear R&D he had built up through working in footwear for about five years mm-hmm. at that point. Um, and it was really kind of a no-brainer. It's one of the most wasteful product categories. Yeah. Footwear accounts for only a tenth of all production, but a quarter of all waste in retail. Wow. Um, yep. Wow. And there's 2.4 billion shoes sold in the U.S. every year on average right. eight per, per citizen. Um, and about 300 million go to landfill of those immediately bought within the first year after the first user and 85% of all shoes go to landfill after just the first user. We need to think about a way to get rid of that waste. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just seemed like the, the perfect marriage of like exper- expertise and supply chain and, and making the biggest impact possible versus starting with just a cotton t-shirt. Yeah. And I've had discussions with um, sustainability experts who talk about brands in fashion, wanting to be sustainable, and their answer is always, "Well, don't start a new brand because we're dealing, you know, with a waste issue. So everything already exists. Don't add to that pile of waste." But in your case, footwear seemed to be a, a category that wasn't being addressed with sustainability. Yeah, I um, I've heard that, but it depends how much respect you have for big systems. Mm-hmm. I know I just like sat on a high horse and like applauded Gap, but um, it's really hard, the, the, you know, and it's the beauty of a startup company, right? We have no red tape. Mm-hmm. Like if we want to test a tech product, we can test it tomorrow. Right. If we want to send a new fabric that we just found the sample room, we can do it tomorrow. You know, again, rather than just creating another organic t-shirt line, but if you're really thinking about a new system, it's sometimes it's better to innovate outside of the bureaucracy, mm-hmm. I think. So you created Path and Fell, and did it feel, uh, you know, what was the feedback like when you when you launched the brand? Did it feel like immediate success? Did you feel like your audience was 
you know, immediately drawn to the product? Uh, and was there a moment when it felt like, okay, we actually have something successful on our hands and this model is going to work? Yeah. Um, it's been a whirlwind year. I would mm -hmm. say it felt like immediate success because our launch was everything we dreamed of. Mm -hmm. um, we had a fantastic launch at the tail end of last year. Um, and, you know, just for, for context, we've been hyper-focused on um, profitability mm -hmm. and hyper-focused on proving that you can build a successful business model while taking into account front-end and back-end. Um, and so we really, this year through COVID, I mean, we launched like three months before COVID and we had big plans wow. for the summer, <laughs> uh, particularly April through August um, mm -hmm. with offline retail and activations and a couple of big partnerships that all got pushed out right. in 2021, like totally, you know, nebulous dates. But, but I'm really proud of the team because we've really pivoted and leaned into di to digital in a way that we didn't plan to. Um, and we're closing out a strong first year, totally different than anticipated. Um, uh, but really excited and excited that now we have after this year, I mean, yes, it's been, we've proven product market fit. So mm -hmm. we have thousands of thousand fell out in the world at this point. Um, and even more so after this holiday and like, we're really bringing people into this ecosystem where we can start next year, recycling and kicking off the take back and recycling, et cetera. Um, and from a, just like a couple of the other learnings that you asked about were the things that shocked us. Was it immediately resonating? Mm -hmm. The idea of like sustainable fashion um, or cause I don't, not that I don't consider thousand fell fashion, but I think it's, more of a lifestyle choice and more of a consumer product or utility basic, but right. people are consumers in, you know, outside of just taking myself out of it are really looking to vote with their dollars. And I think there's been a shift in the last 18 months, but more recently this year, mm -hmm. really propelled by COVID and the social justice movement and the political zeitgeist that we've had to live through yeah. where young people in particular care. Mm -hmm. And they, we can, we understand now the impact that individual action can have. And some learnings, though, circularity. Like we launched and all our ads and all our messaging said full circle. Mm -hmm. That means nothing. It means <laughs> a lot more now. It means a lot more now. I think it changes so quickly, but it, particularly end of 2019, like December 2019, like not many people knew what circularity was. Gotcha, yeah. Mm -hmm. Right? Like from a consumer point of view, it was like, huh? So we ended up like quickly switching and testing so much different language, like sneakers are not trash or like say goodbye to landfills. And it's like, but mm -hmm. landfills are sexy and trash is like not trash is negative. And it's like, we don't want to be negative. We want to be positive. And, but there's not great pedagogy around like, what is a circular economy? Um, yeah, and I think neat. that's changing. So we're moving yeah. towards like regenerative and um, just focusing on recycled and mm -hmm. recycling. But the, the messaging and the explanation of the system we're trying to build is, is one of the bigger uphill battles. Like mm -hmm. what's the difference between buying any quote unquote sustainable sneaker or sustainable item or buying a circular item? And why should I value that? Mm. Yeah, it's so interesting you bring that up. And and I was going to say, because you launched just, you know, at the start of COVID, which you couldn't have predicted, obviously. And we were building, like organically building Jan and Feb, and we were planning like a big campaign for end of March and April that we like totally axed. Right. Uh, 
And then like we had a pop-up shop planned downtown New York all of summer of Axed. Um, we were, and we had a big partnership with, with a couple of major retailers, all axed. So tell me about, and because our show is about female leadership, tell me about, um, women who have inspired you. So you've mentioned a few already. Is that, is that a common theme? I mean, you grew up with parents, you know, who were part of uh, Silicon Valley culture. So I'm sure that's helped shape who you are and, it's also interesting because I always ask female founders uh, who are, um, you know, raising funds for their company about their experience with the VC community. Um, if, yeah. if you were, which which is tends to be heavily male dominated, obviously, but it seems like you had a good uh, a good start uh, on that front. But tell me about strong women who inspire you. Yeah, I'll take the strong women first, and then we can tackle fundraising. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think, um, and I've been asked this before, and I think it's it's not like I had like one woman up on my wall like, mm -hmm. growing up, but I think it's a series of of really consistent, awesome women in my life from early on, and then consistent um, integral women in my life in my teens and preteens, um, and separate from Thousand Fell, I actually I was telling Stuart this the other day, if, if it wasn't climate change and if it wasn't sustainable retail I would have to be focused on female education and empowerment like that's the next big thing closest to my heart and also fun fact the fastest way to make an impact in climate change invest in female mm -hmm. education in the global south True. so super interested in that um but I, I it's small things like I had um my my dad's mom my grandma she was the only woman in her community in Southern California who had a business, was a business owner, and was an entrepreneur. And she had a full hair beauty salon for wow. 30 years. So she was the only woman in the whole community that went to work. She had uh, employees, like up to 15 employees. She had a real business. She was cash flow positive, making money. She kept her money separate from my grandpa mm. to fund her lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> She was a beautiful, well put together lady, and I grew up kind of knowing that, and like I'm seeing her going to work and seeing her do that, mm -hmm. um, really successful. And um, but that, but even then, like my grandfather had to co-sign her lease, he had to co-own her business, exactly. And you know, and, and that kind of BS. I also grew up here in California. Mm -hmm. My mom not being pushed to go to college, my mom having to put herself through college, like seeing my mom go through and build her career and build her different careers and, and build everything she had built kind of independently and not being able to own a credit card until the eighties. Like, right. So you, you kind of, you grow up with that and you, you see it and then you have this, you have strong women around you pushing you to be a little different. I think I had, a, um, I forget the name of it, but I had a book on my nightstand of inspiring women. Oh, that we would up. So I, and I think that I was really fortunate to have people around me helping me to do that mm -hmm. and see that. Um, and I, and I hope, I think there's awesome groups out there. This actually is probably a good segue into the VC community like built by girls um, that are looking to do that for other young women. And I can't overstate how important that is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So if we speak of the VC community yeah. specifically, what's your experience been like? And do you, well, find, do you find that it's changing, that it's going in the right direction with, you know, more women involved in helping change the narrative? Yeah. Um, loaded question. <laughs> because we're currently closing a fundraising round. 
overall, we've had a really positive experience with the VC community. Right. Um, as far as like good behavior, like respect, meeting really interesting, awesome people that are, I think, truly looking to solve problems mm-hmm. and and um, to make an impact. Mm-hmm. There's so many great new impact funds, and that's really exciting when you think about where money will start flowing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that said, the statistics on the percentage of VC capital that went to female founding teams last year are deplorable. Absolutely. Uh, deplorable and particularly um, minority founders and minority women. And I'm fortunate again to, to be white and college educated and my co-founders male. And, but there have been instances, especially in meetings where um, I think it's a Harvard business review article, closed questions versus open questions. Like we definitely, and we're younger, but we definitely get the runaround sometimes. Right. Um, right. with questioning or, you know, it's, it's not that it's not there or, you know, maybe deferral to him when he's speaking so that, mm-hmm. that is something real that we have had to manage mm-hmm. on the flip side. There are so many incredible teams now that are focused on funding women mm-hmm. and um, particularly within the consumer space, mm-hmm. 70% or 70 plus percent of all consumer spending is dictated by women Absolutely. or female head households. Right. Mm-hmm. BBGV led our pre-seed round and the just led our seed round. Um, and it's run by two awesome women. So I'm finding mentors probably every year, um, new mentors, but I would consider both Nisha and Susan like fantastic mentors and probably the, the two of the best I've met so far in my career. Um, but um, they're incredible. And the businesses that they are funding are solving real problems that are unique and generally unique to women. Mm-hmm. Um, with productive rights, women's um, diverse uh, hair care, um, or, or retail industry, which again is majority women. So I, I think we've definitely benefited greatly from the focus on investing in female teams now. That, that's great to hear. Um, and a, a segue to that question would be, you know, what would you say to a young woman who is dreaming of launching her own brand, probably in consumer goods? Uh, what would be your advice for her? And, you know, knowing what we know now, uh, knowing that we're still in a, in a time where there's a global pandemic and, and there are certainly additional obstacles and challenges to starting it. Yes. Yeah. Also knowing that we have a, a global climate crisis on our end, on our hands and that, um, you know, anything around fashion, consumer goods now has to have that sustainability, um, you know, angle uh, in mind. So what would you say to these girls? I am. Um... A couple of different things and a lot of them I've already said so I hope it doesn't sound repetitive but I just fundamentally believe them mm-hmm. and again we've we've had interns this summer and I've, I've been repeating this to anybody who will listen but I think it was the best advice ever to go start at a big company right yeah um, and um, go and understand how the global system is working where Gap Inc is placing futures on cotton prices like you need to understand how that works. I need to understand how Adidas is working and how they're looking at global supply chains and where they're manufacturing for Latin America versus where they're manufacturing for Asia. Like that's important to us as we think about what does a circular economy even look like now outside of the U.S. Mm-hmm. And then the next thing that I would say, and I've already said this, but network. Mm-hmm. Um, we self-funded for the first 10 months. Wow. So basically, 
our entire savings. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Our entire life savings. Cause we were like, we've got to build this recyclable shoe. And that was before we'd even thought about things like digital marketing. Like we were just so focused on building the shoe. Um, and, uh, we would not be here if we had not met really awesome people really early on. And the, we, like, we only met those people by putting ourselves out there. I didn't have any connections. I had moved to New York two years prior. Like my parents know people in like biomed and like, mm. you know, we know I'm not, not connected, but I don't know anybody in retail or fashion. Right. And, um, you know, we really, Stuart and I leaned on our alumni entrepreneurship groups and we just started taking meetings. We hit the ground running. We joined groups. We took meetings. We just started to try to wrap our heads around what is entrepreneurship? What does fashion look like? And well, so we had kind of run out of savings. So Stuart was walking dogs and to, to make extra cash, <laughs> doing odd jobs. And um, we had developed the shoe and we had this business plan and we were like, I was still at Gap. And, um, you know, Joe met us through an alumni connection. We, people knew we were raising and he was like, I'll put in a little bit. Let's go. He like, it just hit it off. And then he introduced us to a woman named Veronica. And Veronica is incredible. She's one of like, I just happened to meet probably somebody that I would have spent the next two years trying to meet. Right. By putting out there. She happens to be a leader in sustainable fashion, both on the investment side and then by herself launching her own new brand, um, Everybody and Everyone. And it was bizarre because Joe simultaneously had asked us to go home and put together a list of people we wanted to meet. And she was like at the top of the list. Mm -hmm. And then it was like, did somebody tell you? I was like, tell you what? And he was tell you that I was going to introduce you to her. And we were like, no, <laughs> but you know, it was just, it was serendipitous. And we met and we hit it off. Yeah. And she actually became our second investor, um, our lead investor. And then the head of our advisory board for the past two and a half years, and just sitting in my studio apartment in New York, like wouldn't have dreamed up, okay. but you know, it wasn't, it wasn't just happen chance. Mm -hmm. Like we, when we think about it, it was like, it took 50 meetings to get that meeting. Yeah. All, all really good advice. And thanks. That's my manifesto. I, yeah, I mean that, that's 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 pretty good. Um, and in closing, my favorite question to ask all my guests on the show would be, "What do you wish women would do more of?" And I said in closing, but I'm actually gonna have a follow up question after that one. Okay. Um, <clears throat> what do I wish women would do more of? I mean. I don't, I don't really have a great answer. The, um, the obvious answer that goes back to just, you know, time at Gap and time in the industry and looking at who's helped me get where I am now is an obvious women supporting other women. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's not actually that obvious, yeah. particularly within legacy industries. Agreed. Competition is like, it's too prevalent. Mm -hmm. um, and team dynamics and are not always, you know, non-toxic. Yeah. Um, to be PC. And so I, you know, I, 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 if, if, if we want to see Kamala, not just the VP, but the president, and if we want to make that a reality, you know, indefinitely, mm -hmm. it's going to have to be women supporting other women. Cause again, I, we would never have raised this money without female focused funds. Like it's just too complicated of a story for us to even walk through. If you're not interested in investing in a young woman from the outset. Right. Um, and I'm, I recognize that flip side, the way I was thinking at that question, what do I wish I did more of? Um, well, that was going to be the follow up question. So you beat me to it. There we go. Okay. <laughs> I, was like, I don't know. I don't want to tell other women what to do, but I can tell myself what I need to do. 
Um, I struggle, like my, my main thing, I, I really struggle to take ownership. Even now, founding this two years, mm -hmm. I like, I, sh I am not great at um, like standing up, owning it, like jumping in, leading, Hmm. Not not self promotion, but 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 sharing and leading and taking an ownership stake. And I think the women that have done that in in entrepreneurship and the women that are doing that, I I'm in awe of mm -hmm. because you know it can feel daunting to even know where to start. Um, yeah. And so and I think you know seeing somebody like Kamala up there as VP, it's, we need to start seeing women in positions of power or Absolutely. or even this year. The, the stat that's going around about the countries who had female presidents and how they're handling COVID. Exactly. Whether that's a real correlation. That's my favorite, that's, that was my favorite piece of news all year. Right? It makes you feel something. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, con continuing, and I'm, I'm in awe of Nisha as an example, because I know she's doing this right now for BBG Ventures and, and trying to be a strong, uh, diverse female investor. But um, in awe of women who are putting themselves out there and who are doing that, and I, 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 I don't think it should be looked at as self-promotion. No, exactly. I haven't done it yet, but I'm challenging myself to get there. Yeah, and it's something with all the female entrepreneurs and, and founders and leaders I speak to, that's usually what comes up, right? They'll never struggle with figuring out their financing plan or figuring out their strategy it's 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 always like kind of that inner inner battle and that obstacle that we often set up for ourselves. Totally, it's like wait a minute. I started this because I wanted to make recyclable clothes, mm -hmm. and then and then now do I? At first, it was like, do I have to have an Instagram? How do I do that? And now and then, but but then it's more about if you actually say you want to help other women, we'll pave the way. Yeah, exactly. Um, even podcasts like this and and providing spaces for women to talk and young women to listen. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, actually, while I was at Gap, while I was in China, I was obsessed with how I built this. I've listened yeah. to every episode. Yeah, yeah, love that show. I've listened to every episode, and the same themes ring true in almost every episode. And, like, I wouldn't probably have had the guts to start this if I hadn't read, you know, the the stories and, and bios of other founders like Tony Shea. Mm -hmm. um, who, who recently passed away but was you know so inspiring he in particular was somebody that Stuart and I both really wanted to meet mm -hmm. it's like, like sharing isn't just self-promotion it actually legitimately is helping well thank you for being one of those examples of leadership <laughs> and yeah. congratulations with everything you've achieved super excited to see what's in store no pun intended for for thousand fell in the in the next hopefully we're gonna be in restores okay oh, good good I'm optimistic. Love that. And can't wait to see how many shoes are being recycled. Thanks to you guys yes. in the near future. Yes. <laughs> really, really looking forward to the recycling next year. So we'll, we'll check in with you uh, in, a, in a few months. Thank you so Perfect. much, Chloe. It was a Perfect. pleasure Thank meeting you. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And as always, it makes a difference if you subscribe, uh, give us a review. Thank you to TD Bank Group Women Entrepreneurs for their support of The Brand is Female. You've got it in you to succeed. Let TD help guide you. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and click on a TD logo. I look forward to speaking to you in a week with a new guest on the show. Take care. Yeah.